Welcome to BDO in the Boardroom, a podcast series for board of directors and those charged with governance. Each episode features a topical discussion with board peers and subject matter experts on both trending and timeless boardroom issues, covering a myriad of issues including, but not limited to, mitigating risk in the increasingly digital world, navigating your board career, from landing your first board seat to succession planning in support of the next generation, to other top of mind issues such as ESG reporting, shareholder activism, and the insights we share through the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining BDO's podcast series, Getting to the Boardroom. I'm Nicole Ward-Parr, and in this series, I have the pleasure of hosting some of the most distinguished executives currently serving on public company boards to discuss their journeys and the paths that got them there. Today, I'd like to welcome C-suite executive and public company board member, Mercedes DeLuca. Mercedes DeLuca is a technology leader and board director who creates digital experiences that delight customers of public corporations and startups while driving transformational and profitable growth. She excels at bringing the startup innovation mindset to a large corporate environment. Mercedes has held roles as CEO, CIO, COO, CTO, and GM, and is currently the VP and CIO of the Pebble Beach Company. Prior to that, she served as COO for Basecamp, a SaaS workplace collaboration platform. Mercedes was vice president and general manager for the e-commerce business of $22 billion Sears Holding Corporation. Previously, she was CEO and chief technology officer of the venture-backed MyShape, which was at the forefront of using machine learning and data analytics to personalize the online shopping experience. Mercedes currently serves on the board of directors for PFSW, Inetco, and she has been a guest speaker for Girls in Tech, WITI, and other STEM organizations. A graduate of Columbia University School of Engineering and Applied Science, Mercedes majored in computer science, earning her Bachelor of Science degree in electrical engineering, and earned her MBA from Santa Clara University. Mercedes, what an accomplished background. I'm so grateful to have you join us today and to learn more about your path to the boardroom. Nicole, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, with that, uh, let's let's jump in. Uh, I would love to hear, Mercedes, when you were considering joining your first board, remembering, remembering back what that was like, did you have a strategy or an approach that you used? Uh, and, and if so, can you share with us what that was? You know, I'm almost embarrassed to admit that the first board that uh, I was invited to join it was a private board, and I was recruited onto that board uh, back in 2008. And I thought for sure that if I just, you know, sat tight and waited, you know, I would get another recruitment to a public board. And it actually took 11 years more um, to get my first public board um, appointment. So uh, about, uh, let's see, four years prior to that, so about four years ago, so um, I did start thinking about my strategy to get on board. And um, I started by talking to other board members. I informed them about my desire to join a public board. And I joined organizations and got help from organizations like Athena, 
new role board list and how women lead. Um, and also talked to CEOs um, who are often chairman of their particular boards. Interesting. And so if I heard you correctly, you you started down the path of, of wanting to get on a board and it took several years for you to understand that you needed to perhaps change your strategy. Um, is that correct? Yeah, it, it, it took me several years to realize I needed a strategy. I think mm. one of the things I overlooked was they just sort of sat there and waited and thought, well, they'll come to me. Mm. And I think if you want a board seat, you need to be very proactive uh, and to work toward it, just like anything else you would go after. Absolutely. It makes complete sense. And it sounds like tactically what you just shared was, you know, you had conversations with CEOs, you involved yourself with organizations, other, you know, key networking um, efforts. Uh, Any other specific ways that you leveraged your network to get access to board opportunities? I think the key was to start thinking about who else in my network was already on a board and to speak to those people because they are already on a board and more likely to know about the opportunities. Again, I naively thought that most of the board opportunities were going to come through public search or rather through retained search, but it's only a very small percentage. I think it's less than 5% actually come through that way. The majority come through other uh, channels. And so it's really important to be active and to let others know that this is what you're looking to do. Got it. That's very helpful. And was there someone or a mentor that was specifically helpful to you uh, in getting that board role? Someone that you identified as, I want to be you, or, you know, I would love you to help me and uh, and teach me uh, tips and tricks. Was there one person that stands out to you? Yeah, so I would say there were two people. I've had a mentor in my career who was a CIO of Credit Suisse First Boston for a long time. And he and I met when he was on a board of a company that I worked for. And he's been, you know, a great mentor, helped me get a lot of advisory roles and a lot of things like that. And I always thought he'd be the one to sort of (laughs) help me get a public board seat. But in reality, it was a colleague in my own network another woman who landed her first public board seat, that actually helped me. And I think that's because once you have a public board seat, more people come to you for new seats. And so she was the most impactful for me. That's a great example. And when you were thinking about the value that you would like to bring to a board role, Uh, did you self-identify areas where you thought, you know what, I'm probably going to need to know this or uh, ex-champion, like the woman that you just mentioned, or, um, you know, your your network that had seats, did they advise you that this is an unforeseeable that you might not know you're going to need to know? (laughs) Anything like that? Yeah, I think, you know, I think the biggest thing is that we tend to romanticize getting on the board and what it's going to be like when we get there until we're on it. And I think, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, sort of basic blocking and tackling that happens on boards. There's a lot of uh, good things and adversarial things that happen. And so a lot of the people in my network really um, prompted me to think about, you know, 
you know, why was I driven to board service and did I understand it would be difficult um, and that it would be challenging? And so I think, I think it was really important to not just think about what's good about it, but also what might be challenging about it. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's almost become, you know, very in vogue these days to say, oh, I want to be on a board, but do we really understand what that means? Uh, Mm -hmm. And and I think your point illustrates that beautifully. Um, And so from a preparedness, uh, you know, standpoint, from a study standpoint, or even just, you know, board readiness, were there certain things that you uh, look to for guidance um, or for, you know, to prepare for that role? Yeah, I think um, in terms of, you know, preparation, I think it's interesting because a part of me didn't feel like I should have to prepare to be considered to sort of be on a board. Not that I wouldn't prepare to interview. Of course, I would do that. But this notion that you know, I would have to go through and prepare a board bio and really think about the value that I bring to the board and do some mock role playing. I mean, a part of me resisted that um, because, again, I think when you're an accomplished um, executive, you get there because you have a certain amount of gravitas. And so it's hard to think that you could be a novice all over again. And so I think preparation is really important, even though you may think you don't need to do it. I think it's really important because you need to be able to put forth what your value is. Um, And I'm talking about getting ready to sort of be considered for board. You know, once I got appointed to the board, I had a different strategy around how I prepared for that, you know, first meeting. Mm, Very helpful. And so dovetailing from that just a little bit, were there mistakes that you made? And if you, if you don't mind, uh, you know, I know that's a fairly vulnerable question, but, you know, once you got there, were there m- mistakes or, or in, in ways that you sort of nicked your knees? You went, oof, wow, I wish I'd known beforehand <laughs> and I might have avoided that <laughs> or something <laughs> along those lines. Yeah, I, I think early on I had an opportunity to interview for a board uh, position and I was talking to the CEO and I treated it too much like an interview um, instead of seeking to establish rapport with the CEO and figuring out if we had chemistry. And so I think it was unfortunate that I just wasn't prepared enough. It comes back to being prepared because you just don't know when that opportunity is going to present itself. And unfortunately, they take a long time and you don't get as many at bat. Um, So I think, I think that was definitely a learning for me is, don't think of it as an interview for a job. Think of it more as establishing rapport with the people you're meeting with and learning and understanding if this is a group you can work with to help drive the success of the company. Oh, that's a great point. Uh, the, just that mindset shift. And that's such a difference, mm-hmm. right? That's such a different way you go into the room or to that meeting when you've, when you've shifted that mindset that way. Uh, that's terrific. And so there's a lot of conversation, of course, um, around diversity in the boardroom. Uh, And I would love to know what you might have done uh, or encouraged others to do uh, to facilitate further diversity um, on the boards with which you've been a part. Right. And I think, you know, to begin with, for me, you know, this was the passion behind co-founding and being a founding board member for the Athena Alliance, because that group grew out of a networking group that met 
And then we realized that there were so many high-powered women in the room, and many of them were seeking uh, board opportunities, but we didn't quite know how to go about it. So, you know, the first thing that I felt that I tried to do was to give visibility, uh, both preparation and visibility to this group of really amazing women. And I think a lot of times people say, well, we can't find any diverse candidates. There, there aren't any out there. And then here's this room of hundreds of women who every one of them is an amazing career story. And so I think it's more that the paths weren't crossing. And so, you know, what I try to do is really encourage other women and make connections between women um, and also hear and look for other uh, candidates to help get people connected because it's really about being connected one level outside of your own network. You've already mined your own network. So it's really getting into other people's networks that, that's part of the challenge. Absolutely. What innovation do you bring to the boardroom? And so I'll pose that to you. I would love to, to hear your answer to that. And I think for me, you know, it's an interesting question because for me, my, um, my brand is about bringing innovation in general. I think as an engineer, I'm a very creative thinker. I like thinking outside the box. And so, and I like coming up with solutions that meet all of the constraints. That's what engineers do. They design solutions despite the constraints. And for me, the more constraints, the more challenging, the more interesting the solutions can be. So I really value when I'm in the boardroom bringing that logic and that creativity to problem solving and coming with ideas that maybe people didn't think of before just because they're thinking inside the box. Um, that's how I think about innovation at the boardroom. I love that answer. And I think, you know, diversity to me is, is of course, it's, it's gender, it can be ethnicity, it can be many things. But I also think that diversity in the boardroom is among C-levels right? Um, and different mm -hmm. experiences, um, whether it's a marketing background, a legal background, or what you just described, which is, you know, engineering, which is a, an amazing blend of sort of creative and yet linear, uh, which mm -hmm. does put you in a very unique uh, spot and, and, and place to impact um, thinking differently, um, which of course contributes to diversity, which is, which is amazing. Uh, that's, yeah, fantastic. And what other thoughts or comments or, or advice might you share um, with listeners? What haven't I asked you that I should have asked you, Mercedes? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, the first thing I would say is in terms of advice is be persistent. Um, it's going to take a while. Um, it can feel very daunting. Um, but you need to be persistent and resilient. I think resilience is one of the most important skill sets any executive can have. And when it comes to finding the right board seat, um, it's probably even more important. I think once you do get that board opportunity, um, focus on getting, the, you know, getting it, but then once you get it, focus on doing a really great job. Uh, I think you know, too often people are focused on too, like trying to get too many things. I want this, I want that. I think what really matters is what kind of an impact do you help make as part of the team on that board? Um, and I think being patient, you know, 
it's persistence and patience in terms of working together. And I would say, you know, the other thing I would say is just, you know, when you join a board, you're the new member, you're coming in. Um, most of the board already has relationships with the other members. Um, and you do, you bring in, you know, fresh eyes, you bring in a fresh perspective. But I think it's also really important to get to know the board members individually and um, to establish and build relationships. Because again, if you really are advocating for other people, chances are other opportunities are going to come through those other seated board members as well. So it's just, it always comes down to people. And I think it's just really important to focus on making an impact. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on the, the people piece, right? It does come down to relationships. And I have a dear friend, uh, to quote him, he says, you know, to, to invest in relationships um, will yield returns that you can't even fathom or imagine. And, and it's really about people. And, uh, and I think that that strategy is, is so well-spoken um, as it relates to the boardroom and really speaks to how things have changed in the boardroom, uh, you know, compared to the 20th century versus, you know, the century we now find ourselves in. I think things have really changed. And I think <laughs> that your point illustrates it. I'd love to, you know, any last thoughts that you have on that? And, and how you, yeah. Well, you know, you, you, you made me chuckle when you talked about the boardroom because, you know, a lot of us, at least for me, I'll speak for myself. As a kid, my first uh, introduction to the boardroom was playing Monopoly and getting the board dividends and seeing the picture of the banker on the card. And I think, you know, the days of a very passive board or the, you know, board that just rubber stamps decisions that are being made in the company, that's, that's changed dramatically. Boards are highly accountable. They're expected to be, you know, very diligent, asking sharp questions. And really, really doing a lot more and being a lot uh, more vulnerable through social media and things like that. So I think it's so important to have multiple voices in a boardroom so that you don't end up with groupthink and so that you do come to the best outcome. And there's just so much information out there sharing that board diversity helps boards function better and that boards are being held to a much higher standard and have to know a lot more about a lot of other things right now than they ever had to know before. So I think now is the time to bring on new perspectives and new eyes and fresh eyes. And um, yeah, I really appreciate this time to share. Absolutely. Well, you're clearly an example of someone who's doing precisely the things you just described. So kudos to you for that and being uh, such a great example of diversity and innovation uh, in a place that really needs it um, in, in where we are in the world today. So I am so grateful for your time, Mercedes, and thank you so much for, for taking the time for our listeners and for us to, uh, to share your thoughts and your path and um, certainly wishing you well. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Nicole, and appreciate what you're doing to help uh, people in terms of their path to board readiness. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you for listening to BDO in the boardroom. Past episodes and related insights are available at BDO.com slash BDO boardroom. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting and the resources we provide, visit BDO.com slash BDO Knows Governance.